Well, if you have your Bible or your Bible apps, go with me to Colossians 2. Colossians chapter 2, we'll start a little bit later in verse 1. I love magic, and I'm ready to do something about it. Harry Houdini, David Copperfield, David Blaine, Brian Pursley. The names synonymous of great magicians and illusionists in Mission View Church today. I will spoil all of you with some tricks. Hit the music. I have in my hand a toothpick. Just a regular toothpick. It's there. Trust me, it's there. You can all see it. And on the count of three. Don't do this. I will make this disappear. One. I better stand back. This can be a little dangerous. Two. Three. Thank you. Thank you. It's not as easy as it looks, friends. Ladies and gentlemen, would you please welcome to the stage just a random audience member, Ryan Kelsey. Please, please, Ryan Kelsey, come up to the stage. Now, I do not know Ryan well. We are acquaintances, not friends, seeing as how I had to request him twice to be a, a uh, a colleague on LinkedIn. That's right, he ignored my first request. Two. Two requests. Ryan, step up here. I want you only touching the dollar bill to not let the quarters fall off the bottle. Impossible, you say. Oh, nice attempt, Ryan. Nice attempt. It was a good try. It was a good try. You two worth an Now, you'll, it, you'll attest. Is it a real dollar? Wow. Speak into the microphone, please. Not everyone can hear you. <laughs> I mean, it could be counterfeit, but it looks real, so. It is a real dollar bill. Yes. There are five quarters on top. I'll keep practicing. Try it again. <laughs> Try it again. I know you can do this. <laughs> this is where it ends up on YouTube. He can do it. He can do it. This is one of those things where if it's disastrous, I don't it's think almost, those quarters are regulation. <laughs> it's almost better. Oh no, it's not happening. No. No. Another dollar's not gonna help. <laughs> That is fine. Thank you. Thank you. You've messed everything up. What did you do to the dollar? For my last and final. That most certainly was. Please leave my stage. Thank you. Never again. For my final trick. You should have done it. 
<laughs> for my final trick. I'll make this scarf disappear. Ma'am, there is no illegal video recording of this. Please. None. You need to go to the Mission View website where this will be heavily edited, and then you can view the video later on. <laughs> I will make this scarf disappear. Why am I seeing flashes all over? <laughs> Into thin air. And it's gone. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, the scarf is back. The scarf is back. Thank you. Thank you. Feel free to call and hire me for children's birthday parties, nursing homes, uh, wedding, weddings, engagements. Who wouldn't love some magic right after they've said I do or I will marry you? Uh, or an anniversary party. All of that. All of that is available to you. Thank you. Um, all right. So granted, I may not be David Copperfield. I don't think I'm that far away. But I may not quite be the level, may not quite be the level of David Copperfield or David Blaine or Harry Houdini. But I love I love the idea of magic, and I, I love watching great illusionists, people who actually can knock the, uh, knock the dollar off with the quarters still staying there. And you clearly saw that I could throw a toothpick into thin air and retrieve it, and no one knows where, where that scarf went other, other than thin air and uh, get that back as well. But believe it or not, magicians and great illusionists like myself, we do not have supernatural powers. Uh, rather, we are masters of exploiting nuances of human perceptions. This is all magic. This is all illusions. This is how they're done. They don't really... So I know I'm not supposed to announce this now that I am a qualified magician, having performed in front of all of you, but they don't legitimately saw somebody in half or make them disappear. The reason they can pull the card that you chose out of the deck is because they're the ones who originally pulled the card out of the deck. I can't tell you what happened to the scarf. That's just a skill that I'm not ready to share yet. Um, but all of this, all of this is based on being able to alter human perception, attention, and awareness. Now, magicians use sensory illusions in their tricks, but they also heavily utilize cognitive illusions, manipulating people's attention, trains of logic, and even memory. It is all in the mind. And the more I see... And the more I understand, I understand that this principle is not reserved to magic and illusions. But in many aspects of our lives, and certainly in our spiritual walk as well, the vast majority of things that we encounter are cognitive issues. And the vast, the vast challenges that we will face are faced in the mind. 
And this morning, as we look at Colossians chapter 2, I want, us to, I want us to see, as the Apostle Paul writes this to the church in Colossae, I want us to really try to understand the heartbeat of his mind as he's writing this letter. And I really want us to, to, heavily, to heavily examine how we need to perceive and how we need to engage our world in our minds cognitively. And so as we look at Colossians 2, what we see is this, for I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I mean, Paul makes no bones about it. He says, for I want you to know how great a struggle I have. But he doesn't stop with I have. And what I found in my own life is if I was penning this letter, I probably would. I probably would just stop there. I want you to know how great of a struggle I have. After all, we know that Paul at the time of writing this is imprisoned. He's in jail. He's taken away from those that he's, he's close with. He's isolated. He's persecuted. We know that he was beaten. And here he says, I want you to know how great a struggle I have. But he doesn't stop with the I have, which most likely I would. Now Paul does something incredible here. He says, I want you to know how great of a struggle I have for you. See, the mind of Paul was not on himself. It was not on his own present sufferings. And who would blame him if it had been? Not many of us would sign up for jail. Not many of us would sign up to be beaten for that which we believe. Not many of us would want to be taken away from those that we are intimate with. And if we were might I suggest that the vast majority of us, there would be some self-loathing, there would be self-pity, and I'm not sure that's all bad. But notice the perspective of Paul. The struggle he indicates is not for himself and not for his own present circumstances. It's related to others. And his desire for them is that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And Paul's struggle for others is that they would be encouraged. Is that they would be knit together and unified in love. That they may mature to a place where they realize what they have in Christ. And I wonder, do we struggle for others? 
Is the same true for us? Or are we stuck on ourselves? Oh, it's easy. It's incredibly easy. As we go through our lives, just to keep the focus on me. But I want to be like Paul. I want to be the guy that, when everything's crashing down around me, when life isn't going as I'd planned, or really, quite frankly, as I think it should be, I want to be the guy who isn't self-absorbed. I want to be the guy that's worried about your pain. It's worried about your development. It's worried about your relationship with Jesus. And that's incredibly hard. That's incredibly difficult. But it's a battle of the mind. And that's who I want to be. I want to take the attention, I want to take the focus off me. I want to be worried about others. And the way to get there is through cognitive discipline. And it's just to change what's on your mind. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face that their hearts may be encouraged being knit together in love to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. See, someone's trying to mislead the believers at Colossae. Someone's trying to mislead them. In the incredible book, Switch, by the Heath brothers, which, which came out a, a few years ago, it's an incredible book upon which they, they spend the early portion of the book drawing on research from the University of Virginia. And they develop the human mind. And within the human mind, they, they utilize this analogy, which was originally utilized by some researchers at the University of Virginia. They said the mind works like this, like an elephant and a rider. The rider of the elephant is the logical portion of our brains. The elephant is the emotional portion of our brains. And oftentimes, our brains give in to the emotional portion, and thus we make emotional decisions, and not logical decisions, because of how the brain's wired. And so sometimes, the struggle is for us to get past the emotional part of how we see things, and to get to the logical part of how we see things. But that's incredibly difficult. 
Let me give you an example from culture. 18 million people on Friday night invested two hours of their lives to see that Bruce Jenner no longer wants to be a man. I'm not sure why this took a two-hour special. Quite frankly, I don't think it's anybody's business. I don't agree with this choice, uh, but whatever. 18 million people watched it and largely applauded it. Now, here's the deal. Logically, we can look at this and say, you were born a male, you have a penis, that's just the reality, you're a male. But what's happened? That has not been the predominant that's not been the predominant reaction from our society. The predominant reaction from our society has been Bruce is finally getting to the point where he's able to love and accept himself. And don't you want to be able to love who you choose? Don't you want to be at peace with yourself? That is an emotional argument. And it's one that resonates with people. Because certainly, who doesn't want to be able to love who they choose? Who doesn't want to be happy? See, this is what happens with culture so frequently. And this is what happens in churches so frequently. We know doctrine. We know logically what the answer oftentimes should be. But emotionally and logically does not always match up. And when it doesn't always match up, guess what happens? Plausible Arguments come up, which are aimed at deluding Christ's followers. And this is what's happening in the church of Colossae. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. See, sometimes as Christians, what we do is we just think doctrinally. And so we hear an argument from other people, and we just readily dismiss it. But sometimes, sometimes, we think emotionally as well. And when we hear those same arguments, which what could be readily dismissed from a pure logical standpoint, emotion comes in. And emotion doesn't care about logic. And all of a sudden, what once was so easily dismissed becomes a plausible argument that we begin to debate and way out in our minds. Because plausible arguments appear on the surface to have merit. That's why they're so difficult. That's why they're so dangerous. And here the Apostle Paul says, I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments, for though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. The intense desire of the Apostle Paul is that the people in the church of Colossae would stand firm. That they would stand firm. See, sometimes we have to draw from the logic aspect of our brain and not the emotional aspect of our brain. If you've ever been a parent, you understand that. Kids don't understand that. And so if we've got to if we've got to draw from the logic portion of our brain 
then we have to have an understanding. We have to have something upon which to draw from. And this is why knowledge in Christ is so important. This is why it's absolutely vital. Because knowledge in Christ allows us to formulate the logical argument and it also, it also allows us to go into the emotional argument in how we conduct our lives. We talked a few weeks ago, what's the point of biblical knowledge? The point of biblical knowledge is action. It's action. Right? Quite frankly, demons most likely know more about the scriptures than I do. This is why it's so important that we engage our minds and we engage our lives. And here the Apostle Paul is saying, don't be overtaken with plausible arguments. Don't be deluded. He says, I'm not with you, but I am with you in spirit. And I'm rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. An intense desire to see them stand firm. Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him. Rooted and built up in Him. And established in the faith. Just as you were taught. Astounding. And thanksgiving. As you receive Christ Jesus, so walk in Him. The Christian life is a journey. It starts at the place where we give our lives to Christ, but it doesn't end there. It is a journey that we have to, that we have to continually walk upon, that we grow, that we mature. Why? So that we can become rooted and built up in Christ and established in the faith, as we were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Last year, a, a week before my wife was due to give birth to Dean, our, our second child, our, our cable renewal bill came, and they were going to lovingly raise the price on us 80 bucks a month, and I'm like, whoa, that's like $1,000 a year, um, so I called to negotiate. And, and in the process of calling to negotiate, they told me, well, you still have some promotions on your account that don't expire until next week. And I said, I understand that. My wife is going to be in labor, and I really don't want to be worried about a cable bill uh, when my wife is bringing our second child into the world. And they said, well, we can't help you. And I said, well, cancel the cable. And, and so they did. And then I called one of their competitors and promptly started service with promotions with them. And so they had to come out and run a new line. Why, I'm not really sure, but in the cable war, apparently that's just what they do now. And so, or he just didn't know what he was doing. I'm open to either option. doesn't really matter. All that really matters is they ran a new line. And so they ran the line into the house, and then they were going to bury the, the cable line. And in the process of burying the cable line under the grass and, and re leading up to the house, they'd uprooted a corner of a rose bush that my wife bought 
last year, and she loved that rose bush, and it attracted all kinds of bugs and thorns, and I was just like, hmm, what a shame. And she's like, no, I really like that rose bush. And so I decided that I was going to go out and fix the problem. And so I took a shovel, and what I was going to do is I was just going to kind of break up the, the roots a little bit and just bury it a little more into the ground. And it, um, unfortunately, my wife was outside when, when I was doing this, and as I dug the shovel down, yeah, we heard it snap, and um, it didn't sound good. And she's like, you just killed the rose bush. And I'm like, no, baby, it, it's fine. I'm just, I'll fix it. And so I just kind of pulled it all the way out of the ground and dug a little bit more of the hole, and then I put it back in the ground and packed the dirt around it and uh, poured a little water on it, threw a little fertilizer around it, and over the next course of the week, watched all the leaves uh, fall off of it, and it become a brown color, and Brooke just kind of kept looking at it, but I was like, just go look at Dean, he's a beautiful little baby that we brought into this world, let's focus on the positive things of life, and, and by the way, baby, it's fall, okay, it's fall, everything's going to be fine come spring, the rose bush is going to come back and look better than ever. Well, everything at our house is starting to bud, and that thing is as dead as it's ever been. Why? Because the rose bush, it was newer, and its roots weren't fully established, and I may be the world's worst gardener that's ever existed. And so I just finished the process. Had the bush been more established, I wouldn't have been able to destroy it so easily. But I fault the cable man because he's the one who started the process. I merely just finished it. See, as time goes by and roots mature, they get stronger. They get deeper. They get more resilient. They become more difficult to kill to idiots like me. That's what roots do. And this is the analogy that the Apostle Paul gives the church in Colossae. That you would be rooted and built up in Christ. And established in the faith. Just as you were taught. Bounding in thanksgiving. And then it goes back to the argument of of how we need to guard our minds. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. Church, we've got to guard our minds. We have to guard our minds. Sometimes when things contrary to Scripture come up, they're easy. But the most dangerous lies have elements of truth within them. And that's why they're so incredibly difficult to discern. And so incredibly dangerous. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit. Because what happens when we fall for it is it captivates us. 
tangles us. It holds us prisoner. This is why you need to engage on the front end. That no one takes you captive by philosophy, empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in Him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. And you have been filled in Him who is the head of all rule and authority. Now remember, at the Church of Colossae, the argument is this, that matter is evil. And if matter is evil, then Jesus cannot be fully God because that which is immaterial is on a higher sphere and that higher sphere is, is not evil like that which has matter is. So this is the argument that Jesus is not fully God. And that was called again Gnosticism. And it's not like we see Gnosticism on full display anymore today. But the arguments, they're, they're pretty much the same. They just change a little bit. Was Jesus really God? Was Jesus just a, a great prophet and a great teacher? A revolutionary leader? Somebody who came along and made claims, but didn't really believe in all of his claims. He just said it to get people's attention, because he was a great orator. Is Jesus really God? Is Jesus really the only way to God, as the argument goes? Why would God be so narrow? Why would a loving God be so restrictive, so difficult to find? Jesus is a way, but is he the only, I mean really, is he the only way? And understand, church, how you answer those questions means everything. Means everything. Because in Jesus, we have the full deity of God. And we have full humanity. Mixed together. And something so incredible, I can't explain it all the way. He's the God-man. And He came with the purpose be the path to God. Why is Jesus the only path to God? Because He is God. Because He is God. He is the fullness of God and the fullness of man mixed together in one. In the God-man dynamic. For in Him, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. And you and we have been filled in Him who is the head of all rule 
and authority. And in Christ, with whom we have a relationship, those of us who decided to become Christ followers, who realized that there is a problem in our lives, and the problem is sin, and that Christ came to deliver us from this problem, being fully God and fully man, living a perfect life, dying upon the cross for my sin and for your sin, raising again three days later victoriously. This is the work of Jesus. This is what he came to do, to restore us, that we could have peace with God. And through that sacrifice, we become new creations. God gives us part of himself in his spirit that comes and lives within us. Fullness of God. Alive. At work. Within me. That needs to change my life, and it needs to change my mind, because I no longer can look at this world, I no longer can look at every situation as I just want it to be. There is a dynamic now at play within me where the fullness of my sinfulness, because I am sin, I am sin, I embody it. And the holiness of God and His Spirit live within me. And there is this tension and this war within me between that which I want to do, Brian's sinfulness, and that which God is calling me to do, God's holiness. Oh, that we would transfer our minds. That our sinfulness would decrease. And that God's spirit would increase. In our bodies. And when that happens. Our perspective completely changes. How we see situations. Change. How we see others change and how we see ourselves change with this dynamic in the battle of our minds. God, I pray that we would think differently. God, I pray that we would act differently. And I pray we would live differently. God, help us transfer our minds. Help us grow in you. 
God, I pray for those who, who are here and who don't yet know you. And God, I just pray that your spirit would stir, stir within them, stir within their circumstances. Convict them. Reveal yourself to them. God, I pray for those who do know you and yet just, just need to grow. So God, I pray that their, just their struggles wouldn't set them back. I pray they would just grow and develop, become more rooted in you. God, I pray for those who, who followed you for a really long time. And I pray the focus would not be on themselves. They'd see others, and they see you. And God, I pray that we would change this world. For your glory. But first it starts with you changing us. So God, may we be ready for that right now. That your spirit would work in us. In your son Jesus' name we ask it. Amen.